Hey everybody, it's David. I hope you're enjoying the episode, unless Susan puts this on at the start of the episode, in which case I hope you do enjoy the episode. And also that could be kind of confusing, because what if you're a first-time listener and you don't even know what the premise of the show is? Anyway, if this is not your first exposure to the podcast and you are enjoying yourself, we'd really appreciate it if you could go on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you use and subscribe to us. And then also take a moment to like us and write us a review. It really helps get more people listening to the podcast. Also, if this is the start of the first episode you've ever listened to, then don't worry, because Susan's about to explain the whole premise in, like, five seconds. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first awards ceremony to, eventually, the present year. I'm Susan Raslin. And I'm David Daw. And this week, we are wrapping up the 1932-1933 awards with Catherine Hepburn's Little Women. Yes. Written by Louisa May Alcott. With that exact billing, followed by also other people are in this movie. <laughs> uh, so, what did you think of this movie, David? Um, you know... I I liked it quite a bit while also recognizing that it was strange and infuriating at times <laughs> it, because it was, I don't know, I, I kind of, I don't know if I have really top line thoughts about this movie in that way necessarily, except like that was a fairly enjoyable way to pass two hours. But I do have a lot of, like, individual thoughts. Like, I, I find Catherine Hepburn's performance intriguing because I think it is a good performance, but it is also not... We've talked before when big movie stars have showed up about how instantly you're like, oh, that person should be famous forever. That was not my reaction to Catherine Hepburn in this, really. But the performance really grew on me over the course of the film, even though Joe as a character definitely did not. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, definitely I can like visually see why Catherine Hepburn is super famous, but she was not like immediately arrestingly magnetic in a way that nobody else in the cast was, which we've seen before. Right. And we both texting back and forth to each other have talked about like, not really engaging with Little Women before, either the novel or any of the other films. I think I had to watch the, like, Winona Ryder one, like, when it came out. And that's the last time I remember having any interaction with Little Women. And so the, like, plot was a surprise to me. And honestly, in that way, I kind of think the movie benefited a little bit. I definitely didn't have anything to compare it to because yeah, I hadn't I've never seen any of the movies, I've never read the book. The thing I kept coming back to though was that this is basically like the original Sex in the City. Yeah. That like there's the four women and like I am a hundred percent certain that for decades girls have sat around and been like, Oh, I'm a Meg, I'm a Joe and then like behind their back their friends are like, No way, that that chick is totally an Amy. She would completely marry her sister's love interest. But yeah, it was it was really funny to me because there was such an obvious parallel there. Joe is a writer, so she's totally like the Carrie. 
And then Amy is definitely Samantha, even though she's the youngest instead of the oldest, because, like, she's kind of selfish and pretty. And also, like, definitely bangs her sister's love interest. (laughs) I also think there's kind of a parallel to sort of non-standard romantic comedies. Like, I think the AV Club just wrote up a big thing about my best friend's wedding. But there's kind of a whole, like, subgenre of romantic comedies that kind of subvert the, like... And then they get together in the end thing where they like find satisfaction in some other way that I also felt this was like a precursor to like, oh, I get where like all of those stories come from now. The expected ending is that Joe, who you've been following the most, ends up with the guy and she doesn't. No. I absolutely think that there is a sex in the city parallel, especially in like what you're saying about just like everybody picks which one they are and that says something about them and then everybody around them also has their opinion on who they actually are (laughs) yes exactly i guess meg is like charlotte because she's the good girl who gets married off first and then my only my only problem here is that like beth is definitely not a miranda yeah no i was gonna say i was going to switch meg and beth uh, with with Me- Miranda and Charlotte. Okay, yeah, I, I mean, that tracks better, I guess. In that also, in another startling parallel between Beth and Charlotte, they're the only two people in their respective universe with inside voices. Yes. They're the only people <laughs> who are able to say quietly, guys, maybe we should just leave. Instead of going, Christopher Columbus, you guys have a fireplace every time they enter a room. Yeah, I have to say, just completely beside the point of the story of this movie, I just found it really annoying. Until they finally grow up, and then Joe stops screaming every time that she wants to make something clear. (laughs) Did you also have scarlet fever, and like it somehow affected your hearing? Nope, it's just that you shout all the time. And all of them do. (laughs) I kind of love that, though, that also makes it seem like Beth didn't even really need the Scarlet Fever. Like, she basically just dies of being the meek one anyway. Yeah, she's essentially (laughs) the runt of the litter who, like, couldn't survive (laughs) because there's not enough resources to go around. Yeah, just the Scarlet Fever seemed unnecessary. It's just like she's introduced knitting and going oh all of you in the very first scene so it's like oh she gonna die like she's just like she's just instantly gonna die yes never was a character so marked for death should we i mean should we for other people who haven't really interacted a whole bunch with little women should we go over the plot of this yeah i guess we should because we certainly can't be the only two people in the world right or we very well are uh and people would be interested in our bizarre ass (laughs) view of what little women is so there's these four small women whose father is off being i guess a chaplain in the civil war thankfully for the north so we don't have that problematic shit to look out for (laughs) yes we are on dad's side (laughs) yes uh and uh they're sort of home with their mother who is extremely busy caring about the poor uh, and people whose lives have been ruined by the Civil War uh, and kind of being a buzzkill to her teenage and preteen daughters as a result of it. Mm, Yes. 
the four girls then sort of all have their own individual personalities that basically map to Sex and the City characters pretty cleanly. Joe is the, like, tomboy, adventurous one who wants to be a writer and who is our main character. And it's Catherine Hepburn. Yes. Beth is the quiet one who listens to her mother and and is marked for death. (laughs) Mary is the one that gets married? Meg. What's the... Meg. Yes. I just... Her one salient property (laughs) is gets married. Yes. And then Amy's the bitch. Uh... (laughs) And those are the four little women. I mean, it's it's terrible, but it's true. Like, Amy is just intolerable. And, like, I kind of hated most of the... I didn't hate them. I felt, found them to be very grating. And, like, it's one of those situations where no sin's so great as my own in another. Like, I'm a pretty loud person, but good lord, they were, like, peeking all over the recording for this movie. <laughs> and, like, I think it's supposed to be, like... I mean, and occasionally, because it's Catherine Hepburn, she pulls it off. It's supposed to be that they're kind of, like, charmingly uncultured. Like, there's sort of a, like, from the mouths of babes. Like, they're they're just trying to find their way in the world and don't really know manners. They're just wild, childlike forest nymphs or whatever. But it... What really bugged me is that all of these people, you know, there's no, like, young Meg and old Meg. These actors are playing themselves from, like, preteen or teen up until they're adults. And it seems like their acting choice for I am a child is to shout. Yeah, and there is a definite thing in the first act where if you don't know the book that well, it takes you a while to go, like, are they supposed to be, like, 12 because they're definitely not. They're definitely... But they're shouting like 12-year-olds. Right. And everyone around them seems to treat them like they're charming 12-year-olds. And so, like, I guess at the start of this, they are supposed to be just, like, just becoming teenagers. The range I got was, like, 11 to 15 at the start of the movie. Yeah, though it's hard to buy Catherine Hepburn as 15 because she's so much taller than everybody. (laughs) Yes. She definitely, in the very first scene with her, seems like she is 26. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The sisters have this aunt who is Aunt Marge. I couldn't tell if she's, like, the spinster sister of their dad or, like the widowed sister-in-law or what her deal is, but she's rich and she's also super mean and is constantly like, you're not getting any of my money, children. And it's like, nobody asked. Yeah, literally at no point in this movie where their mom just constantly is like, let us give to the poor. Does anyone seem to care about money except for her? Right. No one is, no one's asking her for a dowry. Nobody is like, oh, well, you know, since we take care of you as our job, maybe you should like give us a little kickback in the will. But she's just, and maybe that's because she's spent their entire lives telling them that they're not getting one red cent. Though also it occurs to me, Amy probably cares. That's true. That's true. Also, like within the stated text, she is also the one that's like, cares about them getting popovers and, like, wants money for herself and stuff. But no one is, like, waiting for Aunt March to die so they can have her stuff. (laughs) 
Amy probably is, just quietly. It's the only thing she does quietly. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, they they strike up a neighborhood with their wealthy next-door neighbors who are wealthy because they used to be rich and now aren't for reasons that probably are clearer in the book. The Marches used to be rich. Yes. The next-door neighbors are still rich. Yeah. And the next-door neighbor's grandson, which is weird, his parents are just mysteriously, I guess, dead. Lori becomes very close with Joe, and Lori's tutor, whose name is just John, becomes really close with Meg, and then the other two girls are still there somewhere. Meg gets married to John. Beth falls ill of being too meek, (laughs) uh, but recovers. Which she gets because she's a... She's like a nanny, and so she takes care of these kids, and like one of them dies. Yeah. And she's crying that the child died, and they're like, oh no, that's so terrible. And then she gets scarlet fever. And then in one of the more annoying parts of the movie, where all of the people are too loud, the doctor is like, oh no, she's not dead, she's just sleeping peacefully so she can get better. And they like all jump on her bed and are like, yay, she's okay! And I'm like, guys, guys, come on! She's trying, she has scarlet fever. Give her a minute. She's literally asleep. Like, come on. Anyway, Lori, the boy next door, proposes to Joe, who rejects him for reasons that are variously, from what I can pick up, judged to be either kind of mixed up or incredibly stupid. It kind of seems like she has some weird feeling about he has money, so she can't marry him because it would be unfair to him. Yeah... That was sort of what I got, because she's like, no, I don't love you. And then as soon as he's gone, she's like crying about how actually she loves him. Yeah, it also feels like there's kind of a like, I've got to live my own life and not be a housewife thing. But that's not stated particularly well at any point. Um, And I think Catherine Hepburn just kind of performs that. Uh, rather than it being kind of clear in the text in any way. But Joe goes off to New York to pursue her writing career and get away from Lori because he's kind of pissed at her for rejecting his proposal and ends up living in this boarding house where she meets a German professor who is kind of a jerk, but is but tries not to be. And it's also kind of a goofball. Yes. This movie makes him actually seem pretty charming as a weird consolation prize husband, but he also is just, like, weird about her writing. He's, like, nagging her writing all the time. Which seems to be a, like, kind of at least a, like, you shouldn't be doing, like, you shouldn't be writing these stupid genre pieces. You can write real literature. And I'm like, I, the, fuck you, dude. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, but this one paid for this, and this thing paid for this other thing. And I kind of want to be like, dude, come on. Like, yeah, I guess she could sit down and spend three years not making any money while she writes the great American novel. Or, like, you know, she could make sure that herself and her family are fed and happy and can, like, go tour Europe with Aunt March, which is what Amy does. Right. She could be satisfied being one of, like, five women in America with a literary career in 1965 or whatever. Or 1865 or whatever. Yeah, like, at all. 
before the 20th century. Yeah. They kind of have this courtship that's kind of cute, despite everything we just said about him. But then Beth's got to die because it's Act 3. So they all go back. Beth kicks the bucket. And then Joe finds out that she's taken too long to confess her feelings to Lori. And Amy's stolen him away, that bitch. (laughs) Oh, what a Samantha. And she takes it, Joe takes it pretty well, all things considered. Uh, And there's a final scene where her consolation prize German linguist husband comes and proposes to her. And then the the music swells, end of film. Yeah. So where where to start? (laughs) Um... Yeah, I don't know. I I I don't know. I I I don't have strong feelings about this movie. I'm kind of realizing. I don't dislike it, but I don't have the wherewithal to defend its flaws either. Interesting. I I have trivia about it. Okay. So, a few things. Louise Klosser Hale, who was the racist old lady with the dog at Shanghai Express, was supposed to play Aunt Marge, but she died. That would have been perfect casting, so that makes sense. So she couldn't. But yeah, I mean, it's basically the same character. Yeah. Except not English. That's that's really the only difference there. The chick who played Amy was apparently pregnant and knew it when she auditioned for the movie and didn't tell the director. So they had to, like, make her dresses extra large in the front. <laughs> Which is really hilarious to think of because she is playing like a 12 year old at a certain point. (laughs) John Davis Lodge, who plays John, went on to have a long career as a politician in Connecticut because, of course, I mean, that guy absolutely looks like the governor of Connecticut. Like if you went to central casting and said... Give me the white man with the hair and yeah. and the strong jaw to play the governor of Connecticut. It's this dude. Yeah. And that was essentially his entire character was like, oh, handsome with a strong jaw. Yes, Meg, I can understand why you would like to marry this man. You know, who I thought actually was quite good in this movie was Douglas Montgomery, who played Laurie. Honestly, like, I thought that both he and Joe did a, like, Catherine Hepburn did a really good job of portraying, like, both why they would be attracted to each other and why it wouldn't work. Yeah, but, like, how is it going to work with Amy? Because my whole thing is, like, Laurie was a really thoughtful, very kind, very tender person. Like, he was always doing nice things for their family with no, like... There was nothing creepy about it. There was no feeling of like, well, of course he's doing this because he like wants to get with Joe. It was just like, no, he's a nice guy and he's a good neighbor. How is that going to work with Amy, who is like the worst? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And it kind of privileges Joe's bad read on what her marriage to Lori would be like a little too highly. Because in my head it was like, oh yeah, he does just want a housewife. But no, he doesn't actually. Like, he's really uncritically supportive of Joe's writing career. Like, actually, like, likes her writing. Oh yeah. And encourages it. Like, really makes room for her to have a professional life in addition to their home life together. Like... Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know how he ends up with Amy. Though, I, I guess his whole thing is just that Laurie just really likes that family so much. He's like, however I can get into it, I'm marrying into that family. And Meg's already married. Joe turned me down. Beth's dead. Beth is dead. So I guess, uh, you know. For, how's the mom doing? Oh, the dad is still alive. Oh. He was just gone for so much of the, fr- okay. Third runner up it is. Amy it is. <laughs> And, like, Amy's pretty, and she seemed to be, like, somewhat, I guess, she, I don't know. At the end of it, there's, like, not enough time for me to see anything about how she has in any way improved as a human being. Because it's just like, oh, we're engaged! And I kind of wanted to be like, where's the part where she takes her sister aside and is like, hey, so, remember your ex-boyfriend? Right, because, like, uh... it's it's Meg who does that, which is, one, actually, I think a very accurate family dynamic to sprawling families is, like, hi, I'm going to be the emotional interpreter between two of my sisters, but also does make Amy seem even worse. Yes, absolutely. And I get the impression that Meg is the oldest one, right? Oh, I thought Joe was the oldest one. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that makes sense. So she's, like... She's, like, in the middle, communicating between the youngest and the oldest. Yeah. And since Beth is dead, she can't do it. (laughs) Uh, Poor Beth. Which also, I feel like, is a thing that they said for the five years before Beth died. (laughs) Well, since Beth is dead, I'm right here. (laughs) Oh, poor Beth. She's just so nothing. Yeah. But I also, the pregnancy story about Joan Bennett, who plays Amy, makes some sense in that, like, oh, I bet there probably were at some point in the script. Like, I bet the novel has some stuff about Amy growing up and becoming a, like, different person than she is at 13 or whatever during that period where Joe's just getting, like, letters from Europe, but they couldn't film them because... Amy was pregnant and wasn't supposed to be. So people just say what Amy is doing and feeling for the back third of the film. Right. There's a part toward the end where the professor takes Joe to the opera, which is a really great opportunity for the costume designer to be like, let's put Catherine Hepburn in this beautiful white taffeta ball gown, which was like a nice moment. But she's like, oh, I just want to be a singer now. And I'm like, aren't you 20-something at this point? Are you really shouting in the theater? It looks like they're on the landing of the stairs to go, like, to the balcony or something. And she's just shouting away again. But it was also like, is she drunk? Yeah, there is a definite, like, manic pixie dream girl gone wrong thing to Joe in in a lot of this movie. Where because because everything around them is like their mom going like please girls remember the war and she's like God so many hats I burned my dress in the fireplace and like <laughs> I'm just a free spirit who's gonna talk about trains. There's kind of a like read the room thing to it that like when you're 14 I bet is cute but when you're Catherine Hepburn and like 28 is still kind of cute but only because you're Catherine Hepburn. Like that's the only reason it works even a little bit. Yeah, it actually didn't even work for me as Catherine Hepburn. I was like good lord lady shut up. Like 
bring it down at four decibels. But then after that, she doesn't really shout anymore, which was nice. I agree with you that she has good chemistry with Douglas Montgomery, who plays Laurie. Their last talk that they have where he's like, don't you kind of wish that we could be a a boy and a girl again? And she's like, no, because now we're a man and a woman, which is basically like, no, just marry my sister. It was really nice. Though like, oh man, I cannot even imagine what that marriage is like. If I had a sister and my husband used to date her... That would be like every fight would eventually end up there. It would always be like, you just wanted to marry Joe. Right? And like, not just used to date her, but like proposed to her while confessing that his like entire direction in life was predicated on trying to marry her. Right, right. Until the age of like 24. I'm just your consolation prize. (laughs) that would be every fight yeah imagine being in a marriage where just 100% the only thing your husband could say to that is I mean yeah but (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) oh boy yeah that oh that would not be a great marriage no and and the other thing too is that you know that like your older sister married this guy that she's really not that crazy about, but, you know, that they, like, find comfort in one another. And that probably at any moment, like, that whole thing could sort of fall apart. I would, like, never let them be alone together at holidays. Yeah, I actually had that thought when, like, Joe and Lori are alone together and he, like, has his extremely bad dad mustache. Oh, it's really bad. And is like, can you believe I'm a dad now? I did just think to myself, why is Amy letting them be alone together? That seems like an incredibly terrible plan. (laughs) Like, for even a single moment. And like, was I wrong? Or was his, like, I wish we could just be a boy and a girl again thing a sort of, like... I'm just throwing it out there if you want to run away from my life together. It did seem, I mean, yes, (laughs) which like, uh, which I guess you had to have because Joe needs to be able to like explicitly go like, no, it's okay that I'm going and marrying this weird professor dude. But also was the first time that I was like, Lori. Get, get your shit together. Don't be a fuck boy. Like, I, like... Right? I've been, right? I've been liking you so far. I was totally on your side, and you just slipped. I don't know, like, maybe we can forgive him that, because he does have to be married to Amy. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I was willing to forgive him marrying Amy, but going like, uh, but also, just so you know, your sister is my backup plan. <laughs> I mean, Amy's terrible, but she she's no Mitzi for one hour with you. Yeah. She's just, again, I think it's because we don't really get a picture of Amy as not a little teenage shit. (laughs) Right. Uh, The way that we do with the, like, other girls who you really see as fully formed adults or as dying, tragic, fully formed adults. She's the only one where she just doesn't get the time in the film to grow and change. So you just see her pull one over on her teacher, be a tremendous asshole to all the other girls in her school and her sisters, and then steal her sister's man. That's her, that's her entire plot arc. And apparently, like, there is criticism of, even in the book, of Amy's trajectory. Like, nothing really quite happens to her except that everything goes well for her. 
Which again, I mean, not inaccurate. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not necessarily against a movie where just like the pretty asshole st- turns out all right, <laughs> because like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's life. That's that's pretty much how life goes. Should we rate this movie because we need to spend a little time at the end of the episode talking about all the films from this year? Yeah, yeah, we should definitely do that. I oh man, I guess I'm gonna give this. I'm going to give it a six. I'm I'm almost tempted to give it a seven, but I am. I'm going to give it a six as well. You've you've convinced me with your complete lack of an argument. (laughs) I mean, essentially, the reason I'm giving it a six is I recognize that it has something for a, a certain audience and that audience is just is not me necessarily. And it's a, it's a pretty well-made movie. Like, it doesn't necessarily drag anywhere. I did find a lot of the performances to be... Well, I found the performances of the girls when they were children, other than Beth, to be extremely grating. But, you know, it was it was fine. Yeah, I think it... I feel like it does a pretty good job of, like, a lot of things that we're not necessarily giving it a lot of credit for. Like costume and set design and compressing a novel into a film like I don't I don't I can't really call it out for messing any of that stuff up but I also was like I never really fully clicked in on this movie I never turned against it the way that I've turned against I would say the majority of films that we've watched but I never really was like oh wow let's like what happens next yeah I didn't I didn't hate this movie i didn't it didn't make me angry it just irritated me which is like not quite the same thing and you're right like costume design wise it's it's very impressive it's also a period in fashion that i don't find to be terribly interesting or exciting so like i didn't i didn't get excited about the costumes in the way that i did for say like the divorcee which was a much worse movie but featured clothing from an era that i have found to be quite a bit more exciting yeah the wikipedia page for this adaptation talks a lot about like how much time and care and like staff was put on getting all of the costumes historically accurate and all of the sort of items, all the the sort of set dressing. And I do kind of feel like the, like, oh, they finally jazzed it up bit about, like, later Little Women adaptations of just, like, oh, here's the thing is mid-19th century dresses in America were boring as shit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, (laughs) so, so just... Just completely lying about what those were is actually the correct dramatic <laughs> choice. But the the set design for Laurie's house was phenomenal. I mean, that place looked amazing. And yes. as annoying as it was for Joe to be like, Christopher Columbus, there's a fireplace? I was also kind of like, holy shit, this place is gorgeous. But yeah, it, it it was the only time, like, when she does it in that scene, you're like, oh, oh, cool. When when she does that to, like, tapioca, like, <laughs> literally tapioca, you're like, mm, now, now trying to make this into your Steve Urkel-esque catchphrase is maybe not the way to go with Christopher Columbus. I also really appreciated that Meg the first time was like, oh, Joe, don't use such language. And I'm like, is Meg just just really anti-Christopher Columbus, because, like, I'm here for that. If Meg is just like, that guy was uh, a 
raping conquistador who ruined many people's lives. I will say what Meg actually says is don't yell Christopher Columbus like you always do and embarrass us. Oh, that's later. That's like okay. that's like 30 minutes later. The very first time that she says Christopher Columbus is when Meg says, oh, Joe, don't use such language. And then Joe is like, I like words that, that are strong and have meaning. And I'm like, but like, what? like using a random <laughs> historical figure's name as your like swear word? Okay. I do like that in universe, everyone's like, stop trying to make fetch happen about Christopher <laughs> Columbus. Like, I like. <laughs> That's true. They totally are. They're like, can, you, can we not with this Christopher Columbus bullshit? But yeah, you're right. There are a lot of like, there are a lot of technical achievements in this movie that we that we didn't touch on that are the reason that i'm like pushing it up to a six is because art direction wise like it's a really impressive movie yeah so as to this year in film and whether or not the academy chose correctly since there were so many movies should we like quickly review them i feel like we should and also we should talk about how there is a very interesting fun fact about this year which is, it is the first of four years in a row where the Academy also announced who came in second and third place for Best Picture. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, so Cavalcade is our Best Picture for the Academy. It's not our Best Picture, God. Absolutely not. I think I ranked them just before we started recording. It does not make my top five. Oh yeah, no, I don't think so. A Farewell to Arms came in second. What? And Little Women came in third. Which is the only even vaguely respectable choice of those three, I would say. Honestly, yeah. But in addition to those three, we also had Lady for a Day, which we saw last week. We got She Done Him Wrong, which was the Mae West Oof. picture. Yes. We got State Fair, which was not actually an infomercial for State Fairs, as I believed, but a kind of originally tragic novel with a weirdly tacked on happy ending about going to the fair. We got I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, which never lives up to its fantastic title. We got 42nd Street, which I don't really have something clever to say about, but we'll talk about probably at length. But when we're rating all of these films, we've got Smiling Through, and we've got The Private Life of Henry VIII, which was very recent, and you probably will remember that uh, Smiling Through was the weird generational ghost, quasi-ghost story romance with the murder at a wedding yes that we watched very was it the first one of this year it was yeah and i think that's everything from this year it was either it was either smiling through or uh, i'm a fugitive from a chain gang was first i think it's smiling through then i am a yeah. fugitive from a chain gang yes so cavalcade was absolutely not the best movie in this year no like not not even close both it and a farewell to arms feel like the kind of movie that like feel like oscar Beatty in a way that like is just not gonna stand up to the screen test of time is like how the Academy does not actually choose the best picture in a broad historical sense and instead chooses the, like, the Oscariest picture. Right, right. Like, Cavalcade, what's interesting to me about Cavalcade is that it's the totally obvious Oscar bait choice. 
Because it's not a good movie, but it's like, oh, lots of historical things happen in it. And you watch, like, this family's several decade-long story as they navigate one of the more important periods of history. And you're like, yeah, and that's impressive if the movie is good. And it isn't just, like, a checklist of, like, yup, Titanic, yup, World War One, yup, we got whatever, like, oh, the death of Queen Victoria, like... It was a checklist. It wasn't a movie. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, for that, should we... If I just rated these, like, top to bottom, would you have time to do that yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I have ordered these from worst to best. Oh, yeah. I could totally do this. I could do this on the fly. Okay. Uh, So I have in last place, She Done Him Wrong. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. That movie was a disaster. It just, it just didn't really cohere as a movie. It was just a... Series of, of vaguely good Mae West one-liners surrounded by nonsense. Mm-hmm. Slightly above that, A Farewell to Arms, which is just deeply, deeply problematic at best. Ugh. Above that, I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, which, again, had like has its moments, but just doesn't cohere i think as a movie see i i i would put it higher but yeah go ahead i i could hear arguments for it going higher uh i have state fair next mostly just because janet gaynor is really good in it right then cavalcade firmly middle of the pack you put henry the eighth above cavalcade interesting i just a little bit because at least private life of henry the eighth was like intentionally funny when it was funny yeah that's true that's true okay then uh, the, these, this is the, like, one, two where I have the most, I don't know about this, but, um, Little Women and then Smiling Through. Okay. Then 42nd Street, uh, and then Lady for a Day for Best Picture. Okay, so I am totally gonna agree with you that Lady for a Day should have won. It is far and away the best movie in this year. It is a really tight little movie that has, like, you know, it doesn't try to have a big scope. It doesn't try to tell any sort of, like, grand statement on history. It's just a feel-good Frank Capra movie with a lot of good performances. It's funny. It's beautifully edited. The only thing that's wrong with that movie is the 15-second racist bit in the middle with the fake Japanese assistant at the Spanish consulate. Yeah. Which isn't even, like, a performance. It's just a guy on the telephone pretending to be fake Japanese. But otherwise, like, it's a great movie. I'm going to go in the opposite order. Okay, you're just going to work down? <laughs> I'm just going to work down. Uh, I feel like, for me, I liked Smiling Through better than 42nd Street. Interesting. Smiling Through was an extremely strange movie, but the story was really interesting and not like anything I'd really seen before. It also managed to take a bunch of different sort of genre film tropes and successfully, I thought, mashed them up. Like, it found a way to weave them in and out of one another. And Norma Shearer was just phenomenal. Then I'll put 42nd Street, just because I felt like 42nd Street really suffered from the miscasting of the the lead ingenue. I mean, how are you going to put that girl in against Ginger Rogers as the, like, second banana when she has no charisma comparatively? Yeah, it it is an all-time great, like, who, her. <laughs> right, yeah. What is she funny or something of, like, cinema history to have Ginger Rogers spend five minutes talking this girl up. <laughs> 
yeah. If anybody can play that part, it's this girl. Like, really? Because Ginger Rogers, like, have you looked at you? <laughs> yeah. That I would say... Oh, now I'm just getting into the ones I didn't really like. I guess I would say then... Nope, I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break wildly with you here. Then I would say I'm a fugitive from a chain gang. Really? Yeah, because I did think that there was a lot of pathos in that movie, and I thought that it had some good. There were some good technical flourishes in it, like little things that they did with the film development and the transitions between scenes, and the like cool second banana guy who was in jail with him was really charming, and I thought very compelling. And I, I like. I, I cared about that guy's story, even though the movie I felt like was was pretty disjointed. Yeah, I, I think I kind of take off more points for that, for that reason. is like, yo, this is important and you're doing a very good job of presenting why it's important. And then you're doing a bad movie around it. Like that. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. But I, yeah, I, I can also get where like. It does do a very good job of, like, presenting chain gangs as terrifying. Yes. There's a lot of sociopolitical stuff with, you know, the way that the state handles prisoners. And, you know, like, it's it's a pretty progressive movie in its statement, even if it's not, like, the tightest film ever. Then I'm gonna put Henry Aid, because, yeah, it was funny, but it really did- the script was really amateurish- yeah. Then I'm gonna put- Wait, you're putting it above Little Women? Yeah, because those girls annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then I'll put Little Women, because like, I don't know, for me, like, having an acting choice to define any one thing as shouting means this was just really irritating to me. And I think like, I just wanted to grab the director and be like, hey, 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 you need to correct them on this. This is not the way to show that you are 12 or 15, is to just yell. (laughs) Then I'm going to put State Fair, because I actually enjoyed watching State Fair for some of it, even though it was like, why is this movie? (laughs) It was a total unnecessary movie. Then I'm going to put Cavalcade, because Cavalcade was like... It, it was just a slog and it was so it was so cheesy the way that they felt that they needed to like shove every historical thing that happened between like 1899 and 1928 into this movie she done him wrong it would be my next one because even though it was a complete and utter mess it wasn't a farewell to arms where there's a sexual assault that they frame as like a seduction and then a woman dies of like needing to die so that the guy has some form of pathos and I'm like fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I think the only thing I would say about she putting she done him wrong at the bottom slot is the sexual politics of she done him wrong are not exactly stellar either. No, that's true. That's true. I don't know. Can I can I just have them tie for last place? Yeah, sure. Cuz that that also is pretty much how I felt. Was just like, yeah, these both weren't great. And they were both like they both had super problematic things in them that just like where there was nothing in the movie that that made it redeemable. It wasn't like, oh, well, yeah, there's like this racist part in it, but the rest of the movie at least is enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, you feel bad about it, but also, like, the rest of the movie is actually good. No, the, the both of those movies had super problematic things in them, and then the rest of the movie was bad. <laughs> so, yeah, 
you just messed up Academy of 1932-1933, because Cavalcade, not even in the middle. Again, I am still for bring it down to five movies a year and just pick better movies. Like, and if you did that, I don't think Cavalcade or Farewell to Arms should make the cutoff of five films. Oh, absolutely not. I I would say if it's only going to be five, it should be like Lady for a Day, 42nd Street, Smiling Through... I'd put Little Women in there. I get, I get. Little Women, yeah. I, okay, we'll put Little Women, and then and then Henry VIII. I, I, I would put I'm a Fugitive. I, I, you know, I know I didn't like it, but like I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you need to have like a message movie. Yeah, like it. It kind of gets the message movie slot for Best Picture, even if it wasn't necessarily great. That's true, and it's a more important film than The Private Life of Henry VIII, which is like, who, who cares? We're Americans. <laughs> uh, again, the best movie you could make based on the elevator pitch of, hey, that statue kind of looks like this guy I know. <laughs> yes, it is. It is definitely the best movie you could make <laughs> with that. <laughs> but also, there really isn't an Academy Awards slot for, hey, that statue kind of looks like this guy I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, frankly, a, a good thing. I feel like that's that should not be the basis You're- for many You're right. We, we haven't talked enough about what the Academy does right in this segment, Susan. <laughs> and it's that generally they don't nominate films based on that. That's true. That's true. So next week, we are starting the 1934 full stop year because they finally figured out that doing these slashies is a nightmare. Before they forget and then start doing it don't they oh no no they finally we're just free we're just free it's just 19 whatever i always forget that because of the one i think the golden globe still does a still does slashies and two the oscars will let you in on that weird technicality of as long as it was like playing in two theaters on december 31st it counts as being part of that year right which will occasionally get you into some weird shit or like if it were in a festival or something that was at the end of december yeah but yeah we we are starting with it happened one night are we really is that the first one yeah it is the first one the the winner will be the the beginning which is kind of a rough beat for the winner actually because i feel like yeah then it just gets compared to every other movie for the the next 10 weeks right and it isn't like in your mind the way that like a movie that came out two weeks before you have to vote on it. Right. But also, this is one of the ones that supposedly, like, holds up. That, like, when people list Oscar winners that, like, should have won, it's pretty high up there. So I'm... I'm looking forward to it. As am I. And I'm I'm looking forward to this year in general for a few reasons. One, it is the final year in which there is a movie we cannot watch. Right. Because it's it's the last one where the only extant copy is sitting in the UCLA film archive. But it's some movie about Florence Nightingale, so like I'm I'm not that broken up about it. And two of the ten is it ten? I think so, yes. Of the ten movies that are nominated in this year. Three of them star Claudette Colbert. Oh my god, it's 12. Oh my god, this is going to be a three-month year for us. <laughs> yes. Uh, what are the other two Claudette Colbert films? Cleopatra. Oh, heck. And Imitation of Life. We've also got The Thin Man starting out, which I'm also looking forward to. And our remake of The Divorcee starring 
Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Right. Maybe we'll hate it less this time. It would be hard to hate these people more when they're Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. See? There you go. (laughs) So next week we will start with It Happened One Night. And until then... This was a movie. Oh, and we didn't say whether you should watch it. Oh, yes. When your substitute puts this one on... You know, complain that you want the Winona Ryder one. Don't. I don't really care. It's fine. Or the one with Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, I feel like at some point when we're supported by Patreon and they make us watch even more fucking movies, uh, we'll watch the Elizabeth Taylor one and tell you whether you should watch that one instead. But it didn't get nominated for shit. So right now we don't have to. And this was a movie. Yes, it was. Goodbye, everybody. You don't have to go to that nasty old Davis' school with impertinent girls who laugh at your dresses and label your father if he isn't rich. Libel, libel. Don't say label as if Papa were a pickle bottle. I know what I mean, and you needn't be satirical about it. It's proper to use good words and improve your vocabulary. <laughs>